everyone, and welcome back to Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth. I am your host, Liam Sturgis, and I am excited to get into it with you. Now, don't forget to support us by sending us a super chat on YouTube, a rumble rant on Rumble, or a tip on Rockfin. Now, as per usual, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead, let me know if you can hear me in the chat on any of the platforms that we are now live on. And thank you for your patience as I'm a little bit behind today, juggling a whole bunch of things. So first things first, before we really get into it, uh, well, here's our summary for the episode. On health, writer Julie Powell dies of cardiac arrest. Law, Patrick King disturbs Ottawa lawyer with kindness and honesty. Economy, Walmart does something very helpful. Geopolitics, U.S. presence in Ukraine is not new, despite what the news might be telling you. Culture, amnesty or inquiry? But truly, before we get started, however, I want to make two announcements. So I woke up yesterday morning and I was floored to see that our round table discussion that we had this past Tuesday with Alex Washburn and Kevin McKernan had reached 105,000 views overnight. I immediately called Matthew and we spent several minutes trying to ask ourselves how this could possibly have happened. This was the first time we had a video go viral like this. By 3.30 p.m. Pacific time yesterday, so about this time yesterday, the video had jumped even higher to nearly 143,000 views. And then as you can see here, it went even higher. This is just before I started the show today, 194.9 thousand views. Um, so that's crazy. Believe it or not, like it, it's jumping up like no one's business. Um, somehow, somewhere, this video went viral. And we can't thank you all enough for helping us accomplish that simply by watching the video and being part of the Rounding the Earth community. Obviously, the most important part about that talk is the paper in question that Alex Washburn and his colleagues put together. And I highly recommend you go and subscribe to Alex Washburn's Substack. Um, the link should be in the uh, show notes, which by the way, leads us to our next point. The show notes are hosted somewhere slightly different today, because we have officially launched the uh, locals community for rounding the earth. As you can see here with Matthew, in order to bring our community who constantly aids us in our work, Liam Sturgis and I establish a Locals.com community. There is plenty there for both free and paid members. Here's a promo code for November to enjoy both. So if you go find Matthew's tweet, you can um, sign up. You get a free month of the premium features. But as Matthew says, the point is there's... Uh, uh, it's less about putting stuff behind a paywall, which there will be a bit of, but more so about bringing the community in closer to us because Operation Uplift grew out of Rounding the Earth. The Campfire Wiki grew out of Operation Uplift. And the point is, it's an expansion of intellect and um, uh, good people, really. So anyway, go to Locals. That's roundingtheearth.locals.com. You can sign up. And um, that's what it looks like. It's kind of pretty. And... Um, this is where the show notes are today. So I have a pinned comment in there that has a link to 
let's see we've got the show notes which at the point when i had put together this screenshot weren't there yet but if you go there now you will find the link to the usual um the usual Substack post that i do there's also links to the rumble rockfin and youtube uh video links so you can watch this live so that'll all be housed here in a single easy post and then as i upload as we do episodes of our various series they will then get uploaded to this same post you'll have the bit shoot the odyssey the brighteon links there so anyway very exciting and um yeah let's now move on here we're going to start with the news so <sighs> health so again very sad there's one of these every week it seems writer julie powell died at home on october 26 2022 age 49 of cardiac arrest so I didn't know who Julie Powell was. Uh, my partner Sam explained to me that she became famous for spending a year cooking every recipe in Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. So quite cool. And unfortunately, um, yeah, she, she passed away. Her husband reported that it was from cardiac arrest. On Twitter, people were quick to point out that Powell's own feed indicated that there may be something more to the story apparently google caught on too and reading from my tweet here looks like a lot of people are having about enough of these rare hashtag cardiac arrest coincidences google is going ahead and working there nothing to see here magic rest in peace julie powell and as you can see when i went to google simply julie powell covid19 vaccine not death not died suddenly none of that google did the thing that they did when robert malone initially talked about mass formation psychosis on joe rogan and google had to go in and manually say don't trust everything you see yet so i found that interesting indeed though powell's feed documents some rather interesting statements so let's see here on october 1st 2021 she shared some thoughts on anti-vaxxers and anti-max maskers uh, I would argue that COVID does kill some of the right people. The anti-vaxxers maskers are dying in legions. But yes, it's a real shame about Kavanaugh, is what she wrote. Uh, as of June 15, 2022, Powell had received three doses of a COVID-19 gene therapy product. Uh, it says, so as a vaccinated, boosted person, I've not been tested for COVID. Is it possible for me to be at this point? The long COVID thing worries me, but also keep in mind I'm a hypochondriac. Okay. Then, during September 2022 or thereabouts, Powell's husband reported coming down with COVID-19 twice, with Powell falling ill herself at least once. And then, uh, and just reading this series of tweets here, we have decided to take a nap, woke up sick like a dog. This is how the COVID hits, I guess, all of a sudden, like, weirdly, my COVID is getting worse, terrible headache, cough, probable fever, fatigue. Uh, and then responding to someone named Queer Bengali. I mean, I understand your POV, but my husband has been downed by COVID twice in a month, and that's with mask wearing and all available boosters. I suspect I'll be down next. I'm going to keep masking up. That last one was October 7, 2022. And then on October 25th, 2022, so literally like a week ago, she tweeted that she was experiencing very strange symptoms of the tongue. To quote, so I woke up with something that's literally black, hairy tongue. People, including my doctor, seem to think that it's no big deal and will go away soon, but it certainly is gross. So 
that was strange. From Gizmodo's coverage, which was shared on Yahoo News, the Mayo Clinic's website describes black hairy tongue as a buildup of dead skin cells that accumulate on the tongue, explaining that while it can look alarming, typically it doesn't cause any health problems, and it's usually painless. Many Twitter users started discussing Powell's last tweet with some suggesting her untimely death, along with her diagnosis of black hairy tongue, could have been caused by a COVID-19 infection. Others, more inclined to conspiracy theories about the COVID-19 vaccine, tried to frame the death as a result of vaccination. So seriously, rest in peace. I, uh, I know she said some things that were mean, obviously, um, about people who disagreed with her on various things. That doesn't change the fact that this is a tremendous loss. Every single life is, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that is not to dismiss the fact that um, people who sort of callously promoted this product when it's not possible for anyone to have known all of the necessary details and safety concerns about a product that causes harm. I get that. Ergo, she caused harm. That doesn't change the fact that she should not have died if that was indeed the cause. Let's just say cardiac arrests don't really just happen to person after person. I digress. So let's move on. Now, um, this I thought was great. So Viva Fry, he's been streaming the Freedom Convoy 2022 um, inquiry uh, hearings. And uh, Pat King was one of several sort of decentralized organizers of the thing. And uh, he was being questioned by lawyers representing the Ottawa citizens. And I just wanted to play a little bit of it. Let's see if this works. Now, Mr. King, you obviously could not and did not know everyone who was in Ottawa during that protest, right? <laughs> no, there was millions of people. Well, thousands anyway, for sure. Hundreds of thousands. Let's not undersell it. There was a lot of people here. Uh, I'll just, we'll agree to disagree. There weren't hundreds of thousands, but right. um, you, uh, uh, it was a bit of a dangerous situation with all those people downtown. Would you agree? Dangerous in what way? Well, dangerous. You don't know what people might have in their trucks. You don't know what they might do. They're very upset. They're very angry. Uh, was that a dangerous situation for downtown? Not at all. Okay. I met the most well, loving, it, most caring, most loving people, Canadian citizens. Everywhere you went, you were getting hugs. You were getting handshakes and well then why nobody did you, was violent why did you need security then yourself it was so dangerous that you yourself needed security isn't that right because the liberal left trolls were threatening my life okay so that was dangerous right for me just for you you're the only person in downtown auto who's at risk is that right actually i was um the the most highly protected person in ottawa because we had i think they had delegated eight police officers to follow me around everywhere. So, Mr. King, we've heard evidence that uh, many federal uh, elected officials, the mayor of Ottawa, had received uh, death threats. Uh, we've heard evidence that uh, uh, someone was actually arrested with, with uh, uh, firearms uh, who was coming to Ottawa, uh, who had been making threats about... Do you have Mayor a record Watson, of that? Do you have a... Been, I, I'm asking the questions, Mr. King. Sorry. So... Um, but you would agree with me that it was probably a dangerous situation. Okay, I'll stop that there for now. I highly recommend you watch the whole video. I just thought, first of all, what he said there about, you know, I met the most lovely, loving, kind, caring people. That has been what I have heard about 
the Freedom Convoy once it got to Ottawa and the entire way there. I was not there myself. Uh, frankly, I sort of regret not being there a little bit. But here in Vancouver, it's a little far away from Ottawa. Um, in any case, for those who, who uh, want to pursue... Oh, look at that. You can see my green screen almost. Um, anyway, Viva Fry. Uh, we'll make sure that link is available to you. So moving on to the next part. Walmart does something very helpful. It can happen from time to time, folks. In a move that will actually help a lot of people in the short term, Walmart has announced they will reduce the cost of certain Thanksgiving favorites back to 2021 pricing. The announcement explains that the supermarket giant is, quote, removing inflation, an odd choice of words, from a basket of goods filled with traditional Thanksgiving items, such as turkey, ham, potatoes, and stuffing, as well as convenience items like ready-to-heat mac and cheese, or freshly made pumpkin pie. Now, as Zero Hedge reminds us, inflation is at its highest for the last four decades, a 40-year high. The stimulus checks are long gone. And this stunt is supremely well-timed to give a temporary reprieve to its broke customers. On the other hand, it does seem highly unlikely that Walmart chose to act out of genuine goodwill. It's Walmart, after all. Call me skeptical, I guess. But I'm not the only one suggesting a potential ulterior motive. Commenters on the Zero Hedge article note some possible factors leading to the move. Red Nemesis says they are sitting on a ton of inventory and have to get rid of it. There have been numerous articles here about inventory bloat in the last couple of months. Drummerboy56 says, winner, winner, chicken dinner, bro. Too many peeps here are overthinking it with their wild comments. Nobody subsidizing. Beep. Worked in the supply chain of food and produce for years. They need warm bodies in the store. Period. Bottom line. Perhaps not enough people shopping there these days. Market Truth says, Joe Biden will soon post on Twitter that 2022 holiday food costs are the same as 2021. Fact checked by Twitter will say, thanks to Walmart. Of course, Walmart's self-interest can still benefit people in a case like this. If there's a hand feeding us and there don't appear to be strings attached, eh, people are hungry. Jimmy Jones says, we are talking about food here, not inventory of Chinese BS. They are probably using Thanksgiving as a loss leader to get people into the store as a means of keeping Walmart on their minds come Black Friday. Spackler replies, exactly. While it is in their self-interest, I'll give them credit for enlightened self-interest for helping out 90% of the country with this action. So that is more or less where I land as well. It was the same thing when uh, Biden was talking about um, student loan uh, debt forgiveness. Uh, it's, it's If you're going to benefit from it, don't not take it. It may not be the best fiscal policy. You know, It might cause bigger problems big picture but in the short term if there's money coming to you and again so long as there's no strings attached anyway moving on to geopolitics so the u.s presence in ukraine is not new that is the theme and that's what i'm going to get across here okay with this mini deep dive so this is a reuters fact check fact check pentagon says u.s military personnel are in ukraine to inspect deliveries of u.s weapons not to go into combat which is kind of funny because if you're bringing them weapons, it kind of feels like you're uh, sort of one step removed from engaging in combat. But regardless, it seems the general public doesn't understand why NATO involvement, really of any kind, in Ukraine is a deadly proposition, given that it would, by definition, signal World War III. 
NATO, or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is like a blood pact between a bunch of countries in the West that promise to fight wars together, regardless of whether or not it's a good idea. The United States has been in Ukraine since the end of World War II in the form of Project Aerodynamic. According to declassified documents from the Central Intelligence Agency, or the CIA, the project was designed by the Office of Strategic Services, which was the precursor to the CIA, to, quote, exploit the anti-Soviet Ukrainian resistance groups in Western Europe for intelligence purposes. This included groups that actively collaborated with the Nazis, including the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, the Ukrainian Supreme Liberation Council, and the Ukrainian Insurgent Army. Helped along by the OSS and its descendant, the CIA, these Nazi-aligned groups were kept alive and armed during the decades-long Cold War against the Soviet Union. In fact, a number of today's notable extremist or neo-Nazi groups are self-described branches of these original World War II-era fascist-slash-nationalist organizations. Examples include the Right Sector, an ultra-nationalist group of paramilitaries who have held elected office in Ukraine. In the Ukrainian government, to be clear. The group is actively fighting alongside the Ukrainian military in the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine, despite having been banned from the front lines in previous conflicts. Though apparently they didn't really care too much about that rule. They brought them in anyway. Then there's the Rise Above movement, who were responsible, it seems, for attacking counter-protesters at the Unite the Right event in Charlottesville. I thought it was North Carolina. Turns out it's Charlottesville, Virginia. So maybe someone can clarify for me. In 2017, their ties to Ukraine's modern Nazi elements were even reported on in detail by the Southern Poverty Law Center in 2018. Now, look, this deserves a whole deep dive on its own. And I want to be clear, I'm not conflating Ukraine with Nazism or suggesting that anyone or everyone fighting against Russia on the battlefield in 2022 is a Nazi sympathizer. That would be ridiculous. More than anything, my main point, my aim is to highlight that the United States has been in Ukraine, you know, doing all that, setting all that up for a long, long time and has played a leading role in using violent elements of post-World War II Ukraine as puppets to antagonize Russia for better or for worse. My own family fled Russia at the turn of the 20th century. So I'm not a stranger to the concept that Russia is uh, an aggressive country, a country with a history of oppression. Okay. On the other hand, I balk at the idea of collaborating with Nazis, which unfortunately is something that my own government has deemed acceptable in their fight against modern Russia. 
Ottawa Citizen reported on April 13th, Canada failed when it trained Ukrainian troops linked to the far right, says Nazi hunter. The Canadian Forces says it had no obligation to be entirely certain of the backgrounds of those soldiers it trained in Ukraine. Well, why not? Why wouldn't it be, right? Now, we're not doing an ad today because we did the ad for locals. Let's talk about this. Culture. Amnesty or inquiry? This is a picture of Emily Oster, who some of you now may be somewhat familiar with after this past week, alongside a lady named Lena Wen, who, again, some of you may be familiar with. She was a young global leader of the World Economic Forum. In any case, Emily Oster, PhD, a professor at Brown University, made headlines on Halloween when The Atlantic published an opinion piece she wrote calling for amnesty in the aftermath of the COVID-19 crisis. Needless to say, she likely didn't receive quite the response she was expecting. From Zero Hedge, the Atlantic has come under fire for suggesting that all the terrible pandemic-era decisions over lockdown, school closures, masking, and punishing an entire class of people who questioned the efficacy and wisdom of taking a rushed experimental vaccine for a virus with a 99% survival rate in most should be all water under the bridge. We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID, writes Brown Professor Emily Oster, a huge lockdown proponent. Pr 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 proponent who now pleads for mercy from the once shunned quote let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together to build back and move forward she continues anyone else catch the build back in there jen slavin in the chat on rumble agrees needless to say except they weren't in the dark about COVID. There were numerous sources pointing out the actual science that ran contrary to the mandate claims, and they were deliberately silenced by a vast media campaign. Evidence suggests that media platforms worked in tandem with big tech, the CDC, and the Biden administration. Quick side note, the Trump administration too, guys. Let's be clear. It was not a simple matter of overreaction. There was collusion to remove all counter-information. Nice try, Emily. In one epic Twitter rant, Claremont Institute senior fellow Matthew J. Peterson, at DocMJP on Twitter, exhortiates Oscar's, or sorry, Oster's entire premise. And here are his tweets. Hey, sorry you lost your job because of the vax that doesn't work and your grandmother died alone and you couldn't have a funeral and your brother's business was needlessly destroyed and your kids have weird heart problems. But let's just admit we were all wrong and call a truce, eh? Next one. It's too bad we shut down the entire economy and took on tyrannical powers that have never been used before in this country. Looking back, you should have been able to go to church and use public parks while we let people riot in the streets. But it was a confusing time for everyone. Next one. Hey, I'm sorry we scared the hell out of you and lied for years and persecuted and censored anyone who disagreed. But there was an election going on and we really wanted to be Donald Trump. So it was important to radically politicize the science, even if it destroyed your children's lives. And last but not least. OK, yes, we said unvaccinated people should die and not get health care while never questioning Big Pharma. But 
once, never, oh, never questioning Big Pharma once. But we are compassionate people, which is why even, why even though we shut down the entire economy, we also bankrupted the nation and caused inflation. You're welcome. Let's be friends. I sort of butchered that last one, but you get the point. Now, look, as far as I'm concerned, I agree with Oster's premise. If we seek revenge, we will dig two graves, including our own. On the other hand, without accountability, the atrocities committed over the last three years will repeat as often and indiscriminately as desired by those with their hands on the controls. I don't know about you, but I'm not planning on going quietly into that good night. Now allow me to share this meme. For those who can't see, who are listening audio only, it's Eric Andre. He's public health. He shoots and kills society, turns to the camera and says, let's talk about amnesty. I thought that was pretty hilarious. But you see, others have other suggestions on how maybe we can move forward. Announcing a National Citizens Inquiry. Coming soon to Canada, a National Citizens Inquiry into the institutional response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Boy, oh boy. Preston Manning. A veteran politician in Canada held a press conference on November 2nd, two days ago, to announce the launch of the NCI. Beginning in early 2023, the citizen-funded and citizen-run inquiry will continue the work started by a citizen's hearing in June this year, along with another event called Reclaiming Our Voice, a conversation in Ottawa, which saw politicians at Parliament Hill meet with veteran James Topps, who walked across the country, and Canada marches. Now, Manning previously chaired the expert panel for a citizen's hearing, which took place at the end of June last, or sorry, this year. Time flies. Now, I had the honor and privilege of sitting beside Preston, throughout the entirety of the hearing, taking notes as he, Susan Nache, and David Ross of the Canadian COVID Care Alliance heard testimony from 60 Canadians, plus our friend Brooke Jackson, who's American, laying out the harms suffered throughout the course of the government's response to the declared pandemic. <sighs> I'm proud. This, this is on the About Us, the history page. Anyway, thank you for indulging me that moment. Now, following the hearing, Manning and, uh, separately, fellow CCCA member Julie Panessi, who some of you may be familiar with, penned editorials for the Epic Times, summarizing the most important takeaways from the event and calling for further action at the national level. Also, let me give a slide teaser and say that I may be about to add something fairly substantial, at least exciting to me, to the conversation, following some very exciting emails that I received from Dave Ross and Dr. Stephen Pellick, co-founders of the CCCA. More to come on that. Jen Slavin on Rumble says, I watched a lot of Citizens Hearing. Thank you to all who participated. Stay tuned, Jen. I'm working on something. And as you can see, it's not just one group that's gone and carried this forward. 
this is becoming a uh, well in the context of Canada, it's a countrywide multi-group um, citizen run. But also, you know, if you watch the citizens hearing, you know, there's some good politicians doing some good stuff, too. Not as many as we need, but there may be a helpful premier of a certain province that may be closer to um, making some changes than we think. OK, anyway, back to it. Okay. So the funny thing is, not everybody likes this idea. And who's surprised? When a citizen's hearing, uh, while it received virtually no mainstream media coverage, except for the Western Standard uh, and the aforementioned Epic Times, the National Citizens Inquiry did catch the media's attention right away. From the Calgary Herald, I quote, Widespread belief government's COVID-19 protections were the prime culprit for pandemic harms requires a citizen's inquiry on that response, says former Reform Party leader Preston Manning. The one-time federal opposition leader is helping spearhead a proposed seven-city independent inquiry early next year into the pros and cons of how the pandemic has been handled at all government levels, one free from the suspicions aroused by politicians. There's so much skepticism about political people, Manning said Wednesday, while alluding to a recent national survey of 1,533 Canadians' opinions conducted by the inquiry. The fact that 74% said they were injured by government pandemic restrictions is a fairly sobering conclusion. There's been a lot of pain from this on everybody's part. He insisted the inquiry and its resulting recommendations shouldn't be seen as a predetermined indictment of COVID-19 protections and how they were administered or an affirmation of conspiracy theories. Manning wouldn't divulge his own opinions on how COVID-19 protections were imposed, but said there's been misinformation on both sides, citing what he says were exaggerated claims of vaccines infection prevention abilities. Now, there is some, I suppose, fair criticism to be leveled, at least on the concept, such as the following by University of Calgary professor Lorian Hardcastle. She said the following, when they've created a website to request a certain kind of testimony, they won't get a wide swath of the population. The fact that the hearings won't be governed by the Federal Inquiries Act and will lack the independence of government inquiries shouldn't be lost on the public, she said. <laughs> Independent of government, Lorian. Come on, catch up. It's very different from when a government holds an inquiry. They're traditionally conducted by members of the judiciary. This inquiry taking is taking a particular ideological bent. <laughs> okay. Hardcastle also said inquiries funded by private donors put them at risk of being compromised. Ah, because the government doesn't accept any money from anybody with an agenda. Instead, Manning and his colleagues, quote, should be lobbying the provinces and the federal government for public inquiries, she said. So here's a question. What the hell does Hardcastle think we have all been doing? Me for a year and a half and everyone else for longer. She seems to have entirely missed two key points. One. The provincial and federal governments have ignored, and by the way, this applies to the states and the federal government of the United States as well. They have all ignored any suggestion of an inquiry other than the legally mandated inquiry into the invocation of the Emergencies Act, 
which was done in February 2022, which was just one very small and significant, but small nonetheless, piece of the COVID-19 response puzzle. That's what Patrick King was testifying at earlier in this video. And two, the provincial and federal governments are the exact groups being accused of wrongdoing. Of course, Manning is a professional, and I have no doubt he means it when he says there are no preconceived notions of where the inquiry should arrive in terms of conclusions and condemnations, even though he surely does have his own opinions. In fact, I know he does. That's the whole point, though, okay, is to hold the inquiry and follow the evidence through the process to wherever it leads. There is smoke, so there's probably fire. We know there is. But if there's fire, we better bring an extinguisher. Then there's Timothy Caulfield. And he said the following, among the inquiry's 10 stated objectives is one to consider the issue of civic and criminal liability for any damages or harms caused by government's response to COVID-19. That indicates the hearings will cater to an angry constituency and is bound to further divide an already polarized country more than find solutions, says Tim Caulfield, a professor of health law and policy at the University of Alberta. It plays to and engenders distrust and hatred toward the public health system. And I don't think that's constructive, he said. Experts are already assessing the effectiveness of government's response to COVID-19, says Caulfield. A disease that's killed nearly 47,000 Canadians and more than 5,000 Albertans. No one disagrees we've got to study, learn, and refine and be better next time. And people are doing it, he said. He said Canada, especially compared to the U.S., sorry, American friends, has handled the pandemic pretty well, noting repeated studies have shown Republican-dominated areas of the U.S. where vaccination levels were lower, COVID-19 death rates were notably higher. That being factually questionable aside, it is funny that Mr. Caulfield showed up in this article. In fact, it's a glorious coincidence. As we speak, I am writing the long-awaited next installment in my series titled The COVID Blacklist. And guess who's on it? Let's just say Caulfield isn't likely to be one of the experts that I'm overly interested in having lead an investigation into himself. How's that for a cliffhanger? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been your episode of Rounding the News for this week, and I have been your host, Liam Sturgis. Uh, Jen Slavin, you're very kind. She says on Rumble, I love your intonations. You do this so well. Well, you're very kind. A lot of the time when I stop talking for a minute, it's because I've lost my spot. But I'll go ahead and pretend it's on purpose. But thank you, Jen. You're wonderful. And thank you to everyone for watching. Don't forget, go to... Well, if you like me, go to liamsturgis.com. I have some good music. But also, roundingtheearth.substack.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. That is what Matthew writes. It is wonderful, and I hear it coming up in conversations more and more. Thank you, Taz, for being awesome. And yeah, Rumble, BitChute, Rockfin, and wherever you're watching, 
you're the best. Last but not least, roundingtheearth.locals.com. That's where the show notes are. You can become a member. You don't have to pay anything. And if you do want to pay, that'll help us uh, hold some stuff just a few things behind the paywall that allow us to be a little more uh, speculative um, without crossing any lines, but still among a trusted group. Thank you so much. We will see you on Tuesday for yet another round table. And of course I never queue up the, there we go. Here's the outro video. Goodbye, everybody.